Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Alice. Hey, Mercer. now. Greg, what are you doing here? Hey, what do you mean? What are you, Allison, where, did you, where did you come from, Greg? I came from the world of childish, and I just want to make sure that your listeners know that you're just as wonderful on the on the other podcast you do. What if they don't have kids? Don't need them. You don't need them. A lot of our listeners actually tell us they don't have kids. We talk about sex. We talk about all sorts of dirty stuff, yeah. but also parenting stuff. Yeah. So check out Childish new episodes every Wednesday wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I'm sitting here in the pod cabin with producer Tony. And on the last episode, we talked about how I have a little bit of a termite problem. Yes. And yet the, it's still standing. Has has anything been done? No. Not because, even the 409. <laughs> no. Uh, no. Because what happens is I come in, I see the small pile of termite poop, and I think, uh-oh, I got to do something about that. And then I record an episode, and then I leave, and then I forget about it till I come back and open it and the door. Yeah. And then I realize I had completely forgotten about it. I like to think that time stands still when I close the door, like mm-hmm. it's something out of science fiction. Yeah. Out of sight, out of mind. You know how we have to test this? Hmm. By keeping you in here. Is this for, my new apartment? Yes. All right. <laughs> for a couple of years. Oh, okay. And then we'll return in a couple of years, we'll open it up. And if you look exactly the same, and if you think no time has passed, then it's true. When we close the door, time does not pass. Okay. I mean, yeah, that's the only way we can solve it. It seems like the only and also the easiest way. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Definitely easy for me. How yeah. do you think your wife will feel? And oh, your she'll band? Be, she'll be she'll be fine. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate your willingness to help in all What's, matters. What is the is the is the rent covered for me then? Oh yeah, I, okay. Yeah, all because right. this is for science. Okay, perfect. Yeah. There's yeah. no bathroom in here. Mm. Is that going to be a, just poop on the in the yard like Wendy? Okay, so I can go outside, but I can't open the. Do I have to go out the window? <laughs> Actually, I'm sorry, you can't go outside. Mm. I just realized. Okay, well, I'm uh, might get a little rough in here. Who's Wendy? Oh, uh, Wendy. <laughs> let me introduce our guest. She's sitting here politely. Um, it is Liana Fink. She's a cartoonist. You probably know her from Instagram where she has like, th- as of now, 333,000 followers. That's crazy. That's huge. Thanks. And then also uh, your work appears in the New Yorker frequently. Yes. And I'm sure, and you, you have a book out right now. It just came out on September 24th. It's called, excuse me, cartoons, complaints and notes to self, um, which we will get into because it is hilarious and it is melancholy and it is dark. Uh, and then this is your third book, though. You also had Passing for Human came out last year and then a Bintel Brief, which you said is an abundance of letters, right? A bundle of letters. A bundle of letters. It was an advice, a Yiddish advice column. It's a graphic novel based on that. Nice. And that came out in 2014. So Wendy is my dog who poops in the yard. <laughs> but wouldn't That's that be great if Wendy's my friend who poops in the yard? Yeah, or your enemy. Right. <laughs> that is such a classic nemesis move, don't you think? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So you live in New York 
currently. We were just yeah. chatting about that. Where are you from originally? I'm from near Bear Mountain, for those of you in the know, and near West Point, for those of you not from New York, I guess. So, okay, it's maybe an hour and a half north of New York. It's not quite, it's not suburban, but it's not quite country. It's kind of just, I don't want to say gross because I don't want to offend anyone. <laughs> it's fine. But if you didn't, <laughs> <laughs> but if you didn't care about offending people, you would say it's gross. I would say it's beautiful, but a little bit like the nature is beautiful, but it's a little bit sad. Like that the houses aren't usually beautiful. They're Walmarts. People seem sad. They wear a Tweety Bird on their shirts and it's fine. Like there's there's a lot of good there. I don't know if I would go back there. And I I think of myself as a country person, mm -hmm. but it wasn't quite country. Mm -hmm. West Point Academy, is that? Yeah, that's not, It's that's probably like a 40 minute drive from there. But in terms of there, it was close. Right. What is the significance of Tweety Bird on shirts? I don't know. May, it's been a long time. So maybe it's no longer Tweety Bird. It's just like a gross, the gross um, animated character. Okay. Who's a good animated character? Bugs Bunny, right? Sure, sure. I mean, it's. I feel like it's subjective. The red, the red one with the hair, like the red monster. That's good. The red monster. Oh yeah, I, I know what you're talking about, but I don't. I don't know what you guys called. are not talking about. Foghorn Leghorn. Are no, you? no, no. <laughs> but he's <is> good. <laughs> he's not a monster. <laughs> he's big. He could be monstrous. <laughs> this is someone from the WB universe. A red monster. Yeah. Yeah, I believe so. It looks Let like. Let me see if I can find teeth. out what his name is. Oh, his name. Gosh, it's kind of like Grimace. It's like the Grimace. It's not, it's like a sweet name. For a monster. Gossamer? Yeah, Gossamer. <laughs> I don't even know who this is. Where have I been? I can only turn my laptop so far. Yeah, I you really, oh him? no, I, I, he sort of looks like a tooth, like a red a tooth, tooth with legs. Yeah. yeah, I recognize him, but I'm not familiar with his body of work. <laughs> the body of work that he appears in and his body type you understand <laughs> yes i do um okay so i would i would i want to get into what growing up in this gross natural non-country place was but first let's just talk a little bit about the book um do you agree that your work is is dark yeah i do uh not maybe my New Yorker cartoons are a little less dark you have to just try to be New Yorkery for this <laughs> And I don't want to be dark, but I am pretty angry. I guess there's anger. I aspire to being angry in an uplifting way, but maybe not yet. <laughs> um, do you consider yourself a cynic? I uh, consider myself a skeptic, for sure. Um, but an optimist, kind of a like a, I don't know. I'm for for a very emotional person. I'm pretty even keel. I don't mm -hmm. I don't have feelings that I don't know where they come from. I have feelings from things. Mm -hmm. And if you like leave me alone with the right amount of food, I'll be fine. I guess. <laughs> so where so where does it go wrong when you're around other people? When you're hungry, what happens? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sensitive. I'm um I don't like when people walk too close to me. I don't like sexism. I don't like um overcrowding i guess i said that one already that that's maybe just two things oh i don't like being ignored mm -hmm. i was ignored as a kid a lot and so like when i feel ignored i feel very sad and so the cartoons come out of those things mm -hmm. yeah what was your childhood like it was great from the parents perspective i had great parents and a great brother and a great dog and then another great dog but i didn't like school 
Can you say more about that? And I, I'm relating intensely. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Where did you grow up? Orange County, California. Oh, I grew up in Orange County, New York. See? Yeah. Same same place, yeah. different coasts. <laughs> exactly. Um yeah. I uh I it was just a very homogenous, um, conservative, materialistic place that was also very safe and beautiful. And so I never under, as a kid, I never understood why my parents wanted to raise us there because it was lacking culture and diversity. <clears throat> now that I'm a, even before I became a parent, just when I became an adult and got a little older, when I would visit and I would just, you know, drive along the streets, I'm like, Oh, I do get it now. I understand yeah. like, if, when as a parent, it would seem idyllic. There's parks and it's safe. Safe is the main thing it has going for it, I'd say. Yeah, I always think of Orange County, California as the better, by far the better Orange County. <laughs> what, what was I'm Orange sure County, New York like? There are other ones. Orange County, New York. Well, I didn't go to school in Orange County, New York. So I grew up in the kind of gross but honest place. And then I went to a Jewish school in Rockland County, which is gross but richer. It's like, <laughs> like my county was like, like middle to lower middle class, Rockland County was middle to upper middle class. And I went to Hebrew, a Hebrew day school for conservative Jews, which is not a political affiliation. It's like, it means that you may or may not turn on lights on Saturday as opposed to definitely yes or definitely no. <laughs> it's like an in-between one. Uh, we struggled with whether to turn on lights on Saturday. And I did my family? <laughs> we did, but we felt really bad about it. Mm-hmm. And but anyway, the kids at school were just kind of like um, not cultured and like kind of rich, rich culture, whether they were super rich or not. Uh, they 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 felt rich for where we were. They they were the top of the heap and they felt rich and they were mean. And it was a small school and I wasn't bullied. I was just ignored. Mm-hmm. Some other kids were bullied. Did you have friends? Um, I had two friends, but one, they both kind of expired. Um, and, and we, I was left like having the shells of friends for years. And that was sad. Wait, I see. I, I, I <clears throat> allow me to apologize for giggling at that, even though I think that is a clever turn of phrase, because actually the idea of expired friendships is not funny. Um, it's fine. When you say the shells of friendships, do you mean like you guys outgrew each other? Yeah. Like when I was close with one girl, in like from like first through fourth grade maybe and she turned into like a happy like she turned into a science fiction nerd who was like not very self-aware but very happy with her lot and like I don't like love like loved boys and I don't know and I turned into this kind of angsty like smart weird kid who is like a Daniel Klaus character or something and we just like (laughs) She, I so appreciate her, but we were, she, she became like a librarian and I became like a punk and we were so different, mm-hmm. but we, but we were thrown together because there was no one else. So we were, we like had nothing to say to each other anymore, but we just spent a lot of time together. Right. Well, that makes sense. And then there was a third one who hung out with us, who is this, she should have been popular, but she came to the school in sixth grade and she was too pretty. And the other kids kind of like, like kept her out because they didn't want her to overthrow the, mm, the hierarchy so right. she was thrown together with us too and she was like also fine but none of us had anything in common i was always baffled by the unpopular should have been popular girl yeah uh i can think of a few from my school where if you saw them on television they would be cast as a popular person exactly 
Yeah, she what she was actually more she should have been more popular than the popular people. What is it I wonder that makes for that? Is it a, then like a lack of confidence? No, I think it was just coming to the school too late. I think she was also yeah, maybe a lack of confidence, maybe just too much of a snob to to try to be mm. more popular. She got there in the end. Wait, you think it's snobby to not try to be popular? Did like she owed it to the class? <laughs> yeah, I think she was like, "You'll come to me, or you won't," which oh. is cool. Maybe. Well, now I respect that. Yeah. yeah, I don't, although, and I've told this story before because it was like me looking at someone who's just the complete opposite of me. I was out at um, we were at a we were seeing live music in many many years ago. I was out with a friend of a friend and there was a girl there that I was debating whether I should go say hi to. And she's like, well, it's a much longer story. She's like, well, why would you say hi? And I'm like, you know, just to be nice. Yeah. She's like, I never, I never feel like I should just be nice. Oh gosh. No, I think you should say hi unless they're going to glam onto you, which most people do like just to be nice. And then you're sparing them. Right. Right. Did you say hi? No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, full story. This is such a dumb story. She hated me because oh. I was really good friends with her ex-boyfriend, but we were just friends, but she always thought there was something going on. Oh, gross. Yeah. And she disliked me, but I always felt like this is this there's an injustice here because you think something's going on that's not going on, and actually oftentimes the advice I give him is like I'm on your side. So you should, if anything, appreciate me. So I felt like I kind of wanted to go try to like campaign for her to not be such a bitch to me. Yeah. Um, and then that I works. didn't. Yeah. But yeah. Did, was there anything in it for you if she would like you? Would it make your friendship with her ex better? Were you still friends with him? Um, it, I just couldn't stand the idea of someone out there disliking me yeah especially for what felt like really unfair reasons i bet she doesn't dislike you anymore and she feels guilty and that should make you feel better and you don't have to do any work i hope you're right i just suspect she's that same awful person but i could be wrong did they get back together no they never did um are you still friends with the guy? No, unfortunately. It, that's a whole long story. That is a whole... He... And I, that... <sighs> he went off the deep end and has like a really bad drug problem oh, now. And I... A lot of the... A lot of people who were friends with him back then are no longer in his life. Um, but I feel guilty and bad about it all the time. And then people will say to me, well, what... You know, do you think... Do you think that you can like save him or fix this problem? And I wonder if part of me does, yeah. even though I know that I can't. Yeah. Um, but I still feel like I should at least try to get in touch with him. Just if for no other reason than just so that when I get a, if if I were to get a call yeah. saying that I know he, you know he o- overdosed, I don't want to feel like God, I hadn't talked to him in so many years because he and I were inseparable for a long time. But this is not about me. <laughs> that was this is about you. Do you have any friends who are horrible drug addicts? Um, I have an ex-boyfriend who's schizophrenic and I cut off time- ties with him before I knew that and I haven't reinstated the ties mm-hmm. and I don't feel bad about it. But there are other people I feel bad about and I don't know why I don't feel bad about the ex. Yeah. But I feel I ha- 
yeah, I know people who have died and and could have used some help, and I feel really bad about that. Those people. Could you have offered the help? Um, in my mind's yes. I don't know. I don't know if I could have. Right. Probably not. Yeah. With the boyfriend, so you were you went out with him before he went before he yeah. became schizophrenic. Yeah, and I cut off ties with him because he had been a bad boyfriend, which looking back was like signs of paranoia. Yeah, like he used to call me fat. Oh my god. He 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 like knew that was the thing that he could use to control me, so he would do that and and I don't know, he was he he lied a bit. I think he did a lot of cocaine and didn't tell me, which also looking back like I don't have resentment towards him looking back, but I also feel like it's not my responsibility to take care of him now. Yeah. Yeah. Is is he getting help? I don't even it's, know. I've decided it's my responsibility. <laughs> yeah, you should help him. Yeah. <laughs> um, when did you start drawing? When I was a baby. Uh, wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> not not like super well, just like baby, like a baby drawing. Um, <laughs> when, I don't know, I, I had a mom who doted on me because she had left her job, her art job, and she was living in this kind of gross area in this really beautiful town uh, house she had designed for my for my for herself and my dad and then me and then my brother and also the dog um and she kind of she drew she drew a lot I think she was like putting her creative energy and before she became a painter which she did when I was two just into doodling a lot and so she taught me how to doodle and we doodled together. How, how fun. Do you remember any of it? Yeah. Well, I used to, I used to have this incredible memory and it's gone, but I, I guess I I hope it's still there. I kind of remember remembering stuff from being (laughs) a little kid. Um, I also used to have a really good memory and I feel like it's just diminished. Yeah. What do we, is it just age? Maybe we fill our heads with so much that we can't hold on to it anymore. Maybe, but I really felt like for a long time I hung on to it. Yeah, I did. like I was so the same many way. details. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Do you feel like you've lost it? Oh too? yeah. Is it just age? It, I, I think mean, it must be because yeah. I feel like I've heard so many people say this. Yeah. I haven't. This makes me feel a lot better. When did it go away for you guys? Maybe like within the. I want to say like within the last four. Maybe since turning forty. Yeah, I feel like it's just it's it's it hasn't been like an immediate like oh it's just I feel like it's just gr- a gradual a little bit year by year yeah but yeah last several years I feel like it's getting worse. I think a lot of mine went away. I moved we moved from that town to New Jersey when I was fourteen, and I think I I'm a, a visual person, so I think I kind of stored all my memories like in the house and in the mm. in the area, and so like when I didn't see the reminders, I lost the memories. Yeah, and now I just and I just also stopped retaining memories i think there's no reason to i don't want i don't want this stuff anymore and that's i don't mind that that's fine right but it's weird when you know someone who has a good memory like you feel like they have like an extra like five senses or something and they're judging you i guess i you mean about about memory or like someone who remembers everything and remembers everything about you and you're kind of like blind to their life details because you don't remember everyone's life details right i have had the sensation of meeting someone where i'm like i definitely feel like that person is smarter than i am oh yeah and i think i'm intimidated or i feel judged by it yeah and all they're doing is just walking around with a great brain i know (laughs) it's not their fault (laughs) but they must feel really lonely 
yeah around us (laughs) (laughs) i also feel that way around fast talkers like i admire it a lot but i can't i don't think or talk that fast really you admire it yeah i find it a little bit exhausting it depends. It depends the texture of the speech. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I find it a little, a little of both. Right. It's like I'm, I'm jealous of the ability, but also shut up sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not like a too much talker, just like someone who like takes these leaps. Mm, gotcha. If you're with someone who's explaining something, like if you're with one of these gigantic brained people who's explaining something, and you don't understand. Will you be honest about that or do you just pretend you understand to make it all go away? How boring are they? They're not boring. Are you sure? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they're boring. If they're boring, you make it go away. Yeah. You have to do the work to think, is this information I want or not? And that's mean of them to make you have to do that work. Mm. So that's the bad thing about smart people. They make you work and they make you work to decide whether you want to follow them or not. You're right. No, I'm not. I just made that up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you're, I think you're, well, you're, I think, look, slightly slight difference. I think you're not wrong. Right. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you doodled as a baby with your mom. Yeah. You said your mom designed the house. Yeah. She had been an architect until she met my dad and she'd worked for I am pay in the city. And wow. it was this very, it was like a large, fancy architecture firm and it was kind of like a a shiny job that you could brag about but it was also boring and you have to climb the corporate ladder and it was sexist it was hard for her to climb the ladder and I think she uh, she hurt her back doing all this repetitive drawing and she just kind of decided she wanted a huge change so she was at in those days in her world she was an old maid she was like 34 and she left the job and had two kids and um, became a fine artist, which was the main thing. But she had designed the house. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, and you doodled with her. And then when when did it start becoming um, when when do you feel like you, you were you were like commenting on things with your art? When did that happen? Ooh, yeah. Or expressing emotion. I think as a kid, I was without meaning to. Like, I loved making things. I was really shy. I felt like making things was how I expressed myself and figured things out. And then, but then there were some really awkward years when maybe between like 12 and um, 28 or so when I was trying so hard to be, quote, professional in one way or another. And it was just like, I don't know. It, it it never came naturally to me to try to draw in a way that other people would appreciate and think of as art. And then that would make me money or make, get me into art school or get me praise at art school. So I got very self-conscious and very wooden for a while. And um, I tried to be a fine artist because I thought that's what you do if you draw. And, and I came back to cartooning kind of randomly. Mm-hmm. But I think it's what I would have always wanted to do. Did you go to art school? Yeah, I went to Cooper Union in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And you got, you're a Fulbright scholar, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did what, you know? Uh, I saw, I, I, I read it online. Yeah. But what does that mean? It means. I just know that it means, it's very impressive. It's not. It, it is. Be, <laughs> no, I am the judge of that. I'm impressed. <laughs> okay. For those of you listening who are, who want to apply for Fulbrights, if the rules are the same as when I applied, you have to be, um, uh, 
what's that word? I don't know. Um, scheming about it and choose strategic. Strategic. Yeah, you look at the website and you find the countries that are easier to get into. And it's a plus if you speak the language. If it's an obscure language, they don't judge you based on that. But if it's like French, better to choose Belgium or Canada than France, because I think those are easier countries to get into. So I chose Belgium and my school had a really good Fulbright um, feeder program. They helped me with the essay and they got me really good letters of recommendation. And yeah, I went to I've, I forget when Fulbright was started, I think in the 60s by someone in the government. Um, and it was supposed to be, it was before airplanes were so easy to get on. And it was for um, cultural exchange between different countries. So it's America goes to all different countries and all different countries come to America. I don't think, I don't think like France would go to Japan, but I think France would come to US mm-hmm. and Japan would come to US and vice versa. So you went to Belgium. I went to Belgium. I lived in Brussels. It was, I didn't get a ton of money. So it was a little bit stressful. I feel like a lot of my college, my years in and around college where it felt like being a struggling immigrant in some ways, even though I was kind of slumming and could have asked my dad for money and didn't. But um, I was cold that year. Like the, we didn't have good heating and um, I ate only pasta because it's subsidized in Belgium, which is so gross. Uh, it was like 30 cents for a whole bag of pasta and I ate a whole bag of pasta every day. And beer, <laughs> beer is also subsidized. It was also like 30 cents or uh-huh. something. Ugh. And Nutella was too. I haven't eaten, um, Nutella or drunk beer since then. And you, did you have a job there or were you? no. Yeah, I couldn't find a job there. I it, It's hard. You don't have papers to work. I went to school, but I was put in... The school was resentful that I had come there, so they put me in with freshmen, and it was a little humiliating. Also, I was shy. I should have just gone, but I was studying cartooning. Why was, were they resentful? Because we I wasn't paying them. Like, oh. why was this person at their school right. who hadn't applied to the school? And it was this beautiful school in an old convent called La Cambra, and there was like weird topiary all over the place. It was amazing. Um, and I was supposed to be writing a book about the guy who made Tintin, or, um, Georges Remy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really, I think I just wanted to be doing kind of diary comics and I didn't admit it to myself because I didn't, I wanted to be published so badly. I really, you know, I don't know if everyone feels this or if a lot of people feel this way, but like after college, you feel like there's no way you'll ever get a job and you need to like scheme to make money or else you'll be like an outcast from society. (laughs) So I was like, I need to get published. I also thought publication would be enough money for for living without a job, which isn't usually true in my field. Mm -hmm. But but I was hell bent on it and I didn't get published, but I did apply for another grant and get it right after after the Fulbright. And so when when were you first published? I was first pub the first book I had published was the ver- book I w- worked on with the second grant which was called a 6 points fellowship and it was in New York it was for Jewish artists and that was really nice and I made the book called A Bintel Brief which is based on um a Yiddish advice column of the same name that ran in the forward newspaper and that was published I think the year after the this two year grant in 2014. So when you say you really want to be published, do you mean 
in book form? Yeah. Because were you already published in The New Yorker? No, I wanted that too. I wanted either one. I didn't think I would, I didn't think I could get published in The New Yorker. So that wasn't on my agenda. Mm-hmm. And how did that happen? I, I ran into two really, like New Yorker cartoonists are so kind and welcoming and what's not, what, what used to not be kind and welcoming about the New Yorker cartoonists is that they were all so different from me. They're all old, older men mm-hmm. when I was first applying. And so I just, just by their pure existence thought that I could never join them, but they were so kind. And, um, I ran into a couple of them at a, um, co- in indie comics convention and, uh, or f- I guess fair, um, the mocha fair, and they remembered me and that gave me the confidence to go back. And then I kept going back after that. Is the Mocha Fair, is that held at, where is that held? Where is it held? It's in Manhattan. It used to be. Is it at, at the Puck? Oh, okay. There was something that used to be held at the Puck I building. I think it did used to be there. I think I went to that one year. Yeah. Uh, anyway, not germane to the story, that, but there I was recognize. a museum. There was a museum affiliated with the Mocha, with Mocha, I think also called Mocha, but it's not there anymore. And that was, I think, in the Puck building. Got it. Or near it. So you ran into them, and yeah. then what happened? And then I went in the next week with, I made cartoons. Like, did they, did they know your work or did you just talk to them? No, they recognized me from having been there like a year ago and mm. that made me feel like I wasn't invisible and that was really nice. And so then you went into the New Yorker with your work? Yeah. And then the day I went in, a documentary was being filmed. It's called Very Semi-Serious. And so there's a huge crowd and all different kinds of people and not just published cartoonists. Um, so I felt totally, I feel much more welcome in like a big weird crowd than in a small group. Cause I never feel like I fit in, in a small group, no mm-hmm. matter what it is. And the documentary filmmakers were, it was this whole crew of women and I, it was so nice. It was like, felt like we had infiltrated. <laughs> so it, that was just chance that they were doing a yeah. documentary while mm-hmm. you were there. Yeah. And I became like the, the newbie character in the documentary. It was so fun. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. So in a way, I was I kept submitting cartoons because my character kept submitting cartoons. So how does how does it work with the New Yorker? Do you just submit and they say yes or no, or you submit? They uh, well, this is how it was with the last editor, Bob Mankoff. You would come in every week. You would hand him your ten cartoons. He would like very sternly. He would lick his finger because he was <laughs> older, and like very stir- um, sternly look at them. And you'd hear the rustling of pages and. Um, your heart would beat fast and like maybe he would he would place one on the desk in front of him and like ideally he'd place maybe three if you're really lucky more if you're if it's a really awful day like zero maybe Mm -hmm. and then you feel horrible but those cartoons he takes to the main editor David Remnick and then if you're really lucky you'll get an email later that week that says you sold a cartoon from Bob's assistant and it's different that's how it was then so how is it now now you email them in to Emma Allen, who's the new cartoon editor, and I think she doesn't like the power trip of sitting in front of the cartoonist, although she graciously does, but she doesn't look at our cartoons. She just sits and like kind of nurtures us, which oh, is that's so nice. kind of her, yeah. Um, and then uh, I sell a lot more cartoons than I did when I was starting, so it's now kind of how I make a living, and it's so nice, and I don't expect it to last, which is the life of a freelancer, but it's great for now. So are you, 
And you do 10 a week. Is that just standard? That's standard. Yeah. For I think how I got Bob to like me, though, is I did like 30 a week and I really burnt out and I did really bad cartoons. But I think I impressed him. And do you did you and do you have a sense of which ones are going to sell when you come in with 10? Not really. I think I have a better sense of what will sell when I'm in a good mood and feeling happy and bubbly. And I don't know why that is when I'm in a bad, I guess when I'm in a bad mood, I hate all my cartoons and some of them are actually good because I work harder when I'm in a bad mood to kind of make up for not thinking clearly. Mm -hmm. But yeah, when I'm in a, sometimes if I'm in too good of a mood, plus don't have time to work, I think they're great and they're terrible. And that those are the times I really don't tell any, but Hmm. when I'm in a good mood, I seem to have a better understanding of what other people will like. Interesting. You know what would put you in a good mood? And by the way, I wa- I just want everyone to know, I warned you ahead of time that there were going to be some terrible segues. And I think I have kept my word. I want to talk to you guys about my favorite sheets ever, Brooklinen. I currently sleep on Brooklinen sheets. I only have one set when they are dirty. I take them off. I wash them. I put them back on my bed. It's really, I love them so much. I need to get more, but I have navy blue and white striped. Uh, they have a lot of different options for the, uh, they actually have a few different um, material options and then also different uh, patterns and colors and whatnot. So you can definitely get it dialed in exactly how you want it. You know what? Right after I finish this show, I'm just going to go buy another set because they truly are my favorite sheets and I really do sleep better on them. And I don't know why. I mean, yes, they're comfortable, but I don't know. I don't know why it makes such a difference, but it does. Let it make such a big difference for you guys. My Brooklyn and sheets are the most comfortable sheets I've slept on and their towels have turned my bathroom into a spa. I couldn't recommend them more for my friends, family, or treating yourself to the upgrade you deserve. Brooklinen.com is giving an exclusive offer just for you guys, my listeners. Get 10% off and free shipping when you use promo code bestfriend at brooklinen.com. Brooklinen is so confident in their product that all their sheets, comforters, and towels come with a lifetime warranty. The only way to get 10% off and free shipping is to use promo code bestfriend at brooklinen.com. That's brooklinen, B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com, promo code bestfriend. Again, brooklinen.com, promo code bestfriend, brooklinen. These are the best sheets ever. I need to tell you guys about Brewmate. Brewmate make these amazing insulated tumblers and bottles um, to keep your beverages ice cold all day long because you probably agree with the founder of Brewmate, a guy named Dylan, who feels strongly that warm alcohol sucks. Uh, and so he came up with a way around that problem. And, and the stuff that Brewmate makes is especially great if you're going to be, let's say, outside in a glass-free zone um, because you can... Okay, so they have a whole bunch of different products. Um, they have the wine insulator, which fits an entire bottle of wine. And then they have the uncorked wine glasses, which they each fit... They fit... I have it written down somewhere exactly how much they fit. It's a lot, you guys. It's it's a it's a hefty glass of wine that you can fit in one of these. Uh and uh it's not glass. So you can take it on a picnic, to a concert, what have you. Um they have such a great variety of products and then they have an even greater variety of colors. I spent a ple- pleasant amount of time a long but pleasant amount of time clicking through all the different ones to figure out what I wanted. Uh, we have three uh, 
imperial pint glasses, which Daniel uses for both beer and I use them for coffee sometimes. So that's the thing because it's insulated really well, triple walled insulation. Um, it keeps whatever temperature you, you get your drink to the temperature you want it, put it in and it stays that temperature. Um, so I use it for coffee. Uh, and so we have a matte blue one that matches Daniel's bag and is quietly becoming both of our favorite. We have a rose gold. Uh, like glitter one, which is the one that I thought was going to be my favorite. And I still like it, but I'm telling you this blue one is, uh, is muscling its way in there. Uh, and then we have like a, a gunmetal gray one. So it's very hard to choose because you're going to want all of them. Don't settle for warm alcohol. Chill out with your favorite drinks all day long with Brewmate. Visit Brewmate.com and add code best friend to get 15% off your first order. That's 15% off your first order when you go to Brewmate.com, B-R-U-M-A-T-E.com. Again, Brewmate.com, B-R-U-M-A-T-E.com and add code best friend. All right. Now you were, uh, Liana, you were talking about, uh, if you're in a good mood, feeling one way about your cartoons, if you're in a bad mood, feeling another way, do, are you, do you consider yourself a moody person? Um, no, not necessarily. I think I have, I think I'm a sensitive person and things make me f- like things affect me, but I don't think I'm a person who's like grumpy all the time. Mm-hmm. And then also you said earlier that the New Yorker stuff, you have to be kind of New Yorkery. Yeah. So which- I, I'm not going to make a New Yorker cartoon about like being treated. Well, it's changed. The editor is my demographic now. So she's one of the people who helps buy the cartoon. So if I'm, I don't think the last editor who is a 75 year old man would understand my cartoons about like the, like the ins and outs of online dating as a woman. <laughs> But but the current editor does more so. Mm-hmm. But I'll, I don't know. It's for it's for a wider audience. So I'm not going to only make cartoons about that, even if I'm only thinking about that at a certain point. Right. And and often the thoughts you have about that are just really angry thoughts as opposed to um, funny thoughts. And they want the New Yorker. I don't know if it's technically funny, but they're I wouldn't call them angry. The New Yorker cartoons. Mm-hmm. Does the New Yorker like get around in L.A.? Yeah, mm-hmm. we well, have a subscri- subscription. I do, but um, <laughs> I don't read it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think it definitely does. And then also, they put their uh, cartoons online. I mean, not online on um, or maybe it is online, oh, yeah. but on Instagram. Oh yeah. Shoot. Okay, so in excuse me, which everyone needs to go out and buy now, and I will link to in the episode summary. I dog-eared some specific. Uh, cartoons that I wanted to ask you about. Um, okay. So in this one, it says our evolvedness is our Achilles heel, but that relates. Well, here's a, here's a real dumb question. Sometimes I wasn't exactly sure how to read them. If it's like Mm -hmm. four on the page, are they all related? No, they're okay. You have a galley in the real book. There's, there's color. Well, there's, pink so the pink is the dividing line and it's a lot clearer that there's a line between the top cartoon and the bottom cartoon okay um so the so the book is like some of the cartoons in the book take up a whole page and some they're a two per page with a line between them okay so our evolvedness is our achilles heel is that a standalone or standalone okay can you can you um explain what you mean by that though that's in a chapter called 
uh, I think gender politics and other politics or something. The book's divided into chapters and almost that whole chapter was made around the Trump election. So right before when I was nervous and after when I was devastated and everyone was devastated and we were all dealing with each other's devastation. So I, that cartoon was would have made more more sense in the context when it was put out there. Um, it it was about the left being so open minded that we were open minded to to um, bad people. Yeah. No, I think that still yeah. <laughs> that still well, rings still very true. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I really liked the troll phrase book. Thank you. Uh, can you talk about your inspiration for that one? Yeah. Let's see. Um, yeah, this is based on things that were that are some. I don't think I have really bad trolls, which might just be me being repressed. Maybe I do, but <laughs> um, I think I have pretty like well-meaning trolls. Like the worst thing I got this week was just a guy being like, "Hello, I really love your work. Did you know that? Um, is it intentional that your work is very negative towards men? Like that's not nice. That's dumb. But it's not a horrible right. Like, it's evil not a personal person. attack. Yeah, yeah. And I was quite snarky to him, but he deserved it. But um, <laughs> but based on things that I have um, gotten as comments on my cartoons, I I have decoded them, and now they're less painful to me. Um, so if someone says, okay, I could curse on here. Yeah. Okay. Uh, suck it. They mean hello. If they say, <laughs> I'm get, but it's backwards. I'm reading it backwards. I'll read it forward. Um, if you want to say hello and you're a troll, you should say suck it. If you say, want to say I feel ignored, you should say you think you're such a special little snowflake, don't you? <laughs> if you want to say I feel so helpless in the face of rising totalitarianism, you should say this post is demeaning to female friendship. Shocked and disappointed. Unfollowing now. I'm also so, I so much love the way trolls like use parts of sentences. Mm -hmm. I think they like, I know we all speak differently on the internet, but trolls just distill it perfectly. I love their LOL. I love it. I use it. <laughs> okay. If you want to say you have no idea how hard it is raising a two-year-old in the city, especially with Jake as quote, co-parent, <laughs> um, you would say, and you claim to be empathetic disgusting <laughs> um if you want to say i regret not having paid an arm and a leg for a so-called quote bfa um which is a bachelor of fine arts degree which is not um going to help you find a job as well as a ba you would say 125 oh i sell my drawings 125 dollars for this garbage you must be rolling in it congrats um do you get you get people saying that yeah i get people like like LOLing that I'm selling my drawings, which I don't, I don't sell my drawings because I want to sell my drawings. I sell my drawings because people ask to buy my drawings and I used to just send them out for free and I don't like doing busy work. So I'm trying, just kind of trying to dissuade people from buying it, from wanting them. But <laughs> also you're an artist and artists sell their drawings. Yeah. That and seems, it's fine. And it, yeah. I love when people actually want to buy them. That's really kind, but it's not like I'm trying to, it's not like I'm trying to shake shake people right. down for the money i don't care if they want them or not um if you want to say i hate myself for hating myself for hating myself you would write your followers are like trains monkeys what a self-congratulatory circle jerk rofl <laughs> 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 these, i actually have i haven't gotten suck it but i've gotten the rest of these um <laughs> if you want to say my parents never thought i had brains or beauty but look at me now 
retired from a 40-year-old career, a husband who is a pillar in the community, a summer house, as many vacations as you please, an intelligent book club, season's tickets to the theater, and three gorgeous grandchildren, you would say, some jokes are funny. This one, my friend, is not. And that was, (laughs) I like looked at this woman's account who had written that. Um, I get a lot of flack for making fun of Park Slope parents because the neighborhood I live in in Brooklyn is very like, uh, I don't even know the word, like very pleased with themselves, large stroller types of people. Mm. And the kids seem like adults and the adults seem like giant babies sometimes because the kids are so accomplished and the adults are so like helpless and terrified of any little thing going wrong. And I love making fun of them. And I like obviously like these people and aspire to be like 50% like them. But... (laughs) Um, but people often will read, I guess, like, cause it's maybe new parents, maybe, um, just random people who are feeling tender and, and easily hurt. Um, they often think I'm like saying breastfeeding is bad or something that I'm so not saying. Um, so I think this woman had thought I was saying that and it really, it hurt me that she wrote that my joke wasn't funny. What was the what was she commenting on? It was I have a series on people um asking you to move in a cafe and saying excuse me, which is mostly where the title of the book comes from, I think. So um like sometimes it's it's like a man saying, Excuse me, do you mind if I sit here and chew and chew loudly? Or like, <laughs> excuse me, like and, and I think there was one that's like bore holes into you with my eyes. Yeah. yeah. And some are like, and there are a lot of times when it, it's someone saying it, it don't, um, if you live in LA, everyone, this probably doesn't apply to you. I think it's a very, very specific to the very crowded nature of where I live. But, um, people will often ask you if you mind if they sit somewhere. And if everyone did that, no one would get any work done or any talking done because everyone would be bothering each other. It's polite in New York to just live and let live and not ask questions if it's not necessary. So people will ask you, is it okay if I sit like two tables away from you? Like I see that there's no one there. Maybe you wanted to own that chair also. <laughs> and that makes me so angry. And um, uh, and and some of the cartoons are someone asking to share your table, which of course you should ask. But sometimes someone will ask that and give you too much of a reason for why they what they want to do with the half table like (laughs) you don't care you're living your own life you're not it's emotional labor so one of those cartoons okay let me i'll give you another example as lead up one example would be do you mind if i share your table and and read this book that i'm where that i'm studying for a test because i would like to become a lawyer like you you can cut that (laughs) so so i had one that really happened to me and happens a lot that was a woman with a three-year-old was like, do you mind if I sit at your table? And then she like started beaming and she's like, I have to feed my child. <laughs> and like, like, I, great. I don't care. But, um, but it was just an example of someone like spreading their life into my life. But people thought that I was really, ang- they thought it was a baby, not a three-year-old. They thought she was breastfeeding. They thought I was angry that she was going to breastfeed her child at the table. Mm. But that is, I feel like, <clears throat> now I'm hoping that I can get some ear trolls with this statement. Yes. I feel like that is a Park Slope parent. It like is. that is very Park Slope parenting. People, and okay, I'm going to get more trolls now, but people do sit at my t- table and breastfeed and I don't love it. Sorry. I think that's okay. Yeah. 
I don't think you have to love someone breastfeeding. No. I think that you have to allow it. Yeah. But you don't have to love it. I love someone breastfeeding like at the next table. Right. Yeah. Not like sitting right next. It's like it's too much going on. I don't know. Well, also, there's this thing of like, and again, I'm all for breastfeeding. Go for it. But I'm breastfeeding right now. <laughs> but there is if if you're near someone breastfeeding, there's a little thing of like, oh, where do I? I don't want her to think I'm looking. Where yeah, do I look? exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then you also have one that I like where y- there's someone, a woman sitting in a chair and a man comes up and says something like, oh, <laughs> are, you, are you using this chair right now? The actual chair that she's yeah. in. Yeah. Um, that's the logical conclusion. <laughs> like, that's really what they want. Right. They want you to dis. I feel like when someone is asking you an unnecessary question, they're kind of asking you to disappear. And the best example of that is when you're standing somewhere and there's room to maneuver around you and you're taking up as little space as possible and someone still comes up to you and says, excuse me, Mm -hmm. because they can't be bothered to maneuver. They want you to just vanish so they can have all the space. That's that's an example. That's to me what someone is doing when they're asking to sit at the table, three tables from you. Right. Um, You do a lot of your your work in public, right? Yeah. How come? Um, I just love it. I don't know. I used to think it's it was because my home wasn't um, conducive to work or because my studio space was too far. I've had so many different work situations. Like I've worked from I now work from home because I pay for my own apartment, which is like like so um, luxurious in my world. <laughs> um, and but I've had studio spaces and I've worked in like artist rooms and libraries and I've paid for things and I've gotten grants for things, but. What I love is sitting in a cafe or sitting on a train or sitting in a park. I think I just really love being around people and not having to talk to them. And then if someone does say, excuse me, ah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not their fault. But does is it hard for you to get back to your work after that interruption? Yes, yes it's so hard. I feel so violated and I shouldn't. And I'm getting, I'm learning and I'm getting better, but I think... I think I have a neurological difference where like very slight where like I get very easily startled and I it's hard for me to I don't know I I take things as threats that aren't threats a lot Mm. like an animal (laughs) um so you mentioned your mom was an uh, architect turned artist what did your dad do my dad was a gastroenterologist which is a stomach doctor Mm -hmm. and um your parents stayed together while you were young? Yeah, they're still together. Still together. Yeah. Uh, what's your relationship with your dad like? Um, <laughs> it is good. He is, he and I share a certain boringness. Like we don't get into it together. We, I, I wish I was better at tennis because I would love to play tennis with him. I think that would be like the ideal thing to do with him. I like playing tennis. He's good at tennis. I'm bad at tennis. Um, what else do we like to do? Uh, we, he really goes out of his way, which is so sweet. He calls me once a week or so, and he really go, he asks good questions, even though I think conversation doesn't come so naturally to him. He's, he's very kind. He's a very moral person. He's, um, he's from a less bohemian world that I know I live in Park Slope, but I'm still like not, I think I, I left a kind of like very Edith Wharton-y world. Um, I never belonged to it, but I really don't belong to it. And I think my dad more belongs to kind of 
like a community and like he uh, he expects everyone to like marry within the faith and have kids kind of young even though he didn't but I I think he still thinks of me as kind of a strange creature Mm. but he respects it do you think yourself a strange creature no I think of my parents as strange creatures (laughs) my dad has great hair that's the last thing I'm gonna say great hair yeah (laughs) like what kind of great hair I I have great hair too I have he has like slightly better hair than me he has like black hair that goes in a swoop oh everyone wants a swoop yeah and his mom has white hair that goes in a swoop. Okay, so you're half swoop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you guys were conservative Jews, yeah. which is less conservative, for lack of a I'm using it in two different ways, than Orthodox, right? Yeah. What are the like what are the options? There's Orthodox, there's conservative, conservative and then reform and reconstructionist. Although I think all of these definitions are kind of going away. But are are reform and reconstructionist like put if you were to put them on a scale of most extreme to least extreme. There's also Hasidic. Yeah, um, that's or, probably most extreme, right? Yeah, although Orthodox, I think Orthodox and Hasidic, you could be super Orthodox and not Hasidic, and Hasidic is just kind of like, um, this is the wrong word, but I want to say a little new agey. Mm-hmm. They're like super religious, but they're also kind of like, they like to dance and stuff. <laughs> and like, if you're that religious, but you're not Hasidic, you do not like to dance. Got it. Then then there's like less Orthodox. My parents both grew up something called modern Orthodox, which has gone more, it's gotten stricter since they were kids. So when they were kids, they would eat dairy at a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Now, modern Orthodox people would only eat at a kosher restaurant. Got it. Which is isolating. It isolates you from your friends who aren't kosher. Um, conservative, we. I grew up kosher, but in such a way that I would eat dairy out. And we only ate meat at home or in kosher restaurants, which we never went to because they were full of re- Jews who were more religious than we were. And we felt uncomfortable there. Um, even though all my cousins are much more religious than we were. So not that we- I don't feel uncomfortable around them. But you felt uncomfortable like you're being judged or just like, just like, like who are these weirdos? I, I don't want to be associated with these weirdos. Got it. Eating this oh, so much meat. <laughs> <laughs> um, my parents had both left orthodoxy when they went to college and then they kind of got, they have so little in common besides being good dear people that they found Judaism when they got married. They became, they found a synagogue and they just kind of chose conservative Judaism, but they were always proud of being very educated in the Jewish way. So they speak Hebrew and they know how to read Torah and lead, lead the prayers and stuff. Um, so they sent my brother and me to Jewish school, to a conservative Jewish school. And, and then there is reform, which is less strict than conservative, but I think it's stylistically, it, it would define itself more stylistically than level of strictness. It's, mm. it's, well, we were taught, I'm sure this is wrong, but at school we were taught that reforms learn a lot from Christianity and German Christianity. It comes from Germany, um, so they like a, a grander synagogue. They'll have a choir. Mm-hmm. They'll have like a an organ maybe. And they they like rules. And <laughs> they're um, like they're, they wouldn't want you to be informal with them. <laughs> this is so I'm a cartoonist. Don't write. Don't write <laughs> what do you consider yourself now? Nothing. With, but not nothing. I consider myself Jewish. I 
don't go to synagogue. Sometimes I keep the holidays and I'm resentful. Sometimes I don't keep them and feel guilty. (laughs) And my boyfriend wasn't raised religious, but he's Jewish and he like loves it. So we're kind of opposites. I, I'm feminist and it make like, it's hard to be a feminist and a Jew, which also you will, um, many people will disagree, but I feel that way. Also, I find it hard to be an artist and a Jew, but can, can you say more about both of those? Yeah. Like, like the prayers were all written by men. The Torah, I think I've heard that the book of Joseph was written. Is it a book that the portion of Joseph was written by a woman maybe, which makes me happy, but like, um, the Torah is just all about men and their wives don't have names and their wives are just there to bear sons and like it's gorgeous but you're gonna live your life based on this book it's gorgeous as like a relic it's not gorgeous as a, a thing to model your life on and like to live in a tradition is to keep following the tradition that was followed at a time when women weren't people and so it's tough and then um, you said that it, sometimes it's hard to be an artist and a Jew. Yeah, I find that, I guess it's hard to be an artist in a small community. I think artists tend to want to be around all different kinds of people. And I don't know why. Maybe because small communities hate artists. Maybe that's why. <laughs> why? Why do you think they do? I don't know. Why do they? Like, I could be like a Judaica artist. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> what would that mean? Just like dreidels and menorahs <laughs> yeah. and... Yeah, there's plenty of stuff you can make mezuzahs. You could, I can't because I'm a woman, but one and left-handed, but one could write, um, write on the animal skin and create a Torah mm-hmm. or a mezuzah scroll. But only men can do that. Mm-hmm. Right-handed men. Your boyfriend's an artist too, right? Yeah. Um, right-handed man. <laughs> <laughs> How'd you guys meet? We did not meet in college, but we could have. We went there together. Oh, we, but you didn't know each other then? No, we were part of the same community. And I know I knew his name because my college boyfriend used to talk about him. But he he didn't know my college boyfriend could talk, I think. He was kind of a spy. <laughs> they were in the same class. Um, we met. He DM'd me. He DM'd me like a, a year and a half ago. Um. Just to go back to the actual, oh, actually, I was going to ask if there is, I imagine there's all different sorts of ways that an idea for a cartoon comes to you, but like, is there sort of a process that you have found where it's usually this thing or that thing or? Yeah. Well, for the Instagram cartoons, it's usually things that I'm trying to work out that I'm angry about and stewing about and would like use against myself and just spin around in my head forever until my head fell off. And then I draw, I draw them and that feels really empowering. And so does sharing them with a lot of people. Um, I wish New Yorker cartoons came in that way, New York, but New Yorker cartoons come in a lovely way. It's, it's the closest thing I do to meditating. I like to sit on a just like clear a day and, I do. I like to sit on a train because I know no one's going to ask me for something. No one's going to text me and beg me to hang out with them or to do a freelance project if I'm on a train without my computer. Uh huh. So just sit and like doodle ideas, and then the next day I'll draw the ideas. And graphic novel is comes in a totally different way, and I think it's different for each graphic novel. And it's just like many, many, many drafts, and mm-hmm. the first maybe. 
once you know what you're doing, the first draft is really fun because you feel like you're creating something from nothing. And then editing is not like the the time of editing when you're taking something that's bad and trying to make it good is really not fun. But then once it starts to be good and you're just finessing it, that gets fun again. And how long does it take you to do a drawing? Um, an Instagram one, like 10 seconds. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> and what do you do it on? And I use printer paper. I use a Muji 0.38 gel pen, which I get in in bulk. They're very cheap. And I use um, glo- like somewhat glossy printer paper. Like It's called Bright White. I get it from Staples. I'm sure I could switch brands, but I'm too lazy to experiment. And for fancy drawings, I do other things. But that, like when I do a finished New Yorker cartoon, I'll draw it on watercolor paper with um, some... Uh, I don't know. Lately, I've been into a pen called the Kuratake uh, something pen that a friend of mine uses. But um, it it always feels like I'm faking it when I draw a nicer paper. <laughs> and so just to go back to the New Yorker process, when if they buy, let's say they buy, you know, however many, then they just, they would uh, never buy more. Well, once in a while, buy more than one, but that's not standard. But when they buy one, does that mean that they are commissioning you to redo it? Like, are you just turning, mm-hmm. so you're just turning a sketch of it, like a yeah, rough idea. I think they don't, they're not that strict about what you hand in. So I could easily hand in just, I could just send them the file of what I've already made, but I like to redraw it just kind of to teach myself how to be more of like a, a, a spatially minded, like, prettiness minded person Mm -hmm. but that's just lately and I've always redrawn them kind of because I'm responsible and I want to give them their money's worth but I find that my redrawn ones have always been uglier than the originals Mm. I think I've turned a corner and they're they're starting to be nicer although not really me in a certain way and when you're drawing them how often do you make a mistake and have to start over a lot I use a light box sometimes so then you could trace and it's you don't really lose what you've already made mm-hmm. in the messed up version, but like often I'll have a smudge or something and it's like not even worth my while to use white out. I'd just rather, or what I don't like one doesn't know how long things last. So if you potentially sell something, I don't even know how to Google if white out is archival or not. Right. And I don't feel like dealing with it. Do you ever do stuff online? Like use the iPad or any oh, digital yeah, yeah. things? Not on the computer. Um, Yes, I always, I edit all my work on something called a Wacom Cintiq tablet. I'll like scan it into the computer and then fix little things um, with this screen that you draw on that's connected to the computer, which has Photoshop on it. I don't use Illustrator. I would love to learn Illustrator. It terrifies me. That's with vectors. I don't, I can't even explain it. It doesn't feel, um, it feels like fantasy. It doesn't feel real. It feels like, and it's a lot less about the line and a lot more about the shape. So designers use it. Um, and I use, I have an advertising gig that I think is gone, which is really sad, but I used, um, they, they quote bought my style. So I made, I made a different style for them and I used only, um, the iPad with this thing called the Apple pencil and a program called procreate. So it was a little more like cartoony looking somehow and, it doesn't feel it's hard for me to think while using that program, but mm-hmm. it's really fun to draw with it. And what else? Um, I've been traveling around the country teaching people how to use um, this pen called a pen plus that's made by Moleskin. And it's it you draw on paper and it 
transfers to your computer. Oh, how cool. Wild. Yeah. And you said you, you're teaching people to use it. Like, did they hire you to? Mm-hmm. That's what is my, that's the bones of my book tour that I'm on right now. They flew me out here. So, and then I was able to give a book talk also. So wait, how does that work that you draw on paper and it goes into your computer? Um, it's called the pen plus ellipse. You, it has a camera on top of it. The the paper is kind of special. It has a very faint grid on it and the camera picks up on the grid and somehow it works. You, if you use your phone, um, so the, the pen will remember and you don't have to have your phone near you. But if you're using the computer and it goes to a more powerful drawing program and it goes straight to Illustrator, you need to have the computer open. Wow. Yeah. And this is available now for people? Mm-hmm. I'm still learning how to use it, but it's awesome. It's yes. a special paper that it has to be on? It can't just be on any paper, right? It's a special moleskin pad. Gotcha. Yeah. I kind of wish they would have it not with pads. So for, you could, right. For those of us who like to use a light box, hint, hint. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay. What kind of paper and pen or pencil would be like your nightmare scenario? Oh, such a great question. So most things are really nightmarish for me because I have trouble with a scanner. Um, but if we're talking just seri- just like normal nightmare, I actually, ugh, I don't want to slander any brand, but, um, Everyone else loves a micron. I hold a pen funny, so I don't like any felt tip that has very um, defined right angle edges to mm-hmm. it. I hold a pen very diagonally because when I draw with that kind of pen, I just get the edge of the pen and it doesn't feel right. And I also don't like – I like drawing with a brush feels magical. If you want a brush um, and hate animals, you should get a Windsor Newton Kolinsky Sable. <laughs> Oh, there are good vegan options. I don't know what they are, and they're not great. But try wait, them how do you? I'm going to hand you a pen. How do you hold a pen? And then I'll tell people. Oh, okay. Is that weird? No, I, the pen is at like a 45 degree angle. I'd yeah, say, and I'm left handed. I don't the, know. It's something about the way the I write is very specific. Mm-hmm. I love a ballpoint and I love a pencil, but I j- I don't use them because of scanning. And they just don't. And also pencil, like I carry around. I'm so nomadic and I carry around paper with pencil drawn on it all the time and it smudges if mm-hmm. I use it. Um, the br- Yeah, the brush, I love doing it, but my drawings don't. It's hard for me to like think on my feet with a brush and I don't know why. But a lot of people like them. I also love a nib. I use a blue pumpkin. I think it's called a blue pumpkin. It's from jetpens.com, it's, which is a great website. It is... A calligraphy nib. I'm very picky about nibs because lefties don't get to use nibs right. Is a nib like that little metal thing that you yeah. dip in ink? Yeah, a crow, a crow quill. And for ink, apparently, I just learned this, but apparently you have to throw it out and get new ink every six months. Oh, like mascara. Yeah. Oh, I, I have I'd no idea. Is I don't know if I don't know if it's every six months, but you're supposed to toss your makeup and get new makeup frequently, and I never do. And I've yet to break out on some entire face fungus. So I don't know. Um, and paper wise, what's like, what kind of paper would you just be like? I cannot, I cannot do it. Oh, oh, oh. Um, I think I sometimes I accident, I print on cheaper paper than I draw on. I draw on $13 sheaf of printer paper and I print on $4 sheaf of printer paper. So sometimes I accidentally bring the $4 paper with me in mm. my bag. 
and it kills my pen. It, it's like a little bit grainy and the pen just like stops working and it's mm-hmm. so annoying. Um, what I'm very picky about paper actually, but it, it's more about what the pen likes than what I like. I'd prefer a less, I don't like a mushy feeling paper. Mm-hmm. And your studio at home, drafting table, regular table. I have a drafting table, but I only like it because it was my mom's. She she gave it to me when my parents just moved. Um, but um, but I don't need a drafting table. And my boyfriend does. And I know he's like always sitting there after I come out of the bathroom. And I can't let him have it. I love that table. <laughs> You think he's? You think he's encroaching on the table? He wants my table. Making inroads. Yeah, I like the table. This, um, I don't think this is a tip for anyone because it's very specific. But I much prefer. I love a high chair where my legs don't need to bend, and I love a really high table where I sit straight. It makes me feel more awake. I've wondered who likes high tables. Really? Yeah, because I feel like they are all the rage. I like feel high like dining low, tables. Low tables are all the rage. Really? Yeah. We need to switch Orange Counties then because I'm not a big fan of a high table. I don't want my feet to not touch the floor, but I also want like, I want, I don't want my knees to have to like crunch. Like you don't want to feel like you're drawing while sitting on a squatty potty? I don't want to like slump, like I'm relaxed, like I'll just fall asleep. I actually, I also like to draw like on a chair with my bag on my lap and my pad on my bag. It feels... I like to feel self-contained, which you wouldn't think of a person who likes a high table. Right. But you, high table, like, how do you feel about sitting on, like, a bar stool? Um, no. No, no. No, no, no. <laughs> That's too high. <laughs> no. You'd have to touch the floor. Like, this table feels high. Too. Okay. Like, this, this table is, is high. ratio. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I th- I was thinking you meant, like, the bar stool style no. table. No, no, I don't like that. No, That's all either. wrong. You're going to fall off that. Exactly. Yeah. Tony? Table height, weigh in. I don't have a super strong opinion either way, honestly. But if we're talking literal bar stool, I I think my biggest thing is I want I much prefer like a chair or a stool that has a back on yes. it. I don't like the I want to be able to lean back if I Yes. Yeah. I um when we used to do live Adam Carolla show podcasts, I would always ask ahead of time, could I have a chair, a stool with a back because my fear was like sauntering out on stage and seeing just a bar stool and then eating shit while trying to get into it, (laughs) which has not happened. But I always feel like it's I'm going to fall when I try to hoist my butt onto that seat. Yeah, I don't know. But then yet again, I spent so much of my life in a backless seat playing drums. I know. So. Do you bring your own drum stool? They're, mm-hmm. they're called thrones, right? Yeah. It's, that's, I don't that's like fan, that name. That's the fancy word I don't for like it, using that term yeah. for it. You call it a seat. I'll let you call it a seat. Thank you. Do you bring your own? You must, right? Yeah, usually. Ugh. I can't imagine carrying so much stuff. It's the worst. Drums yeah. are real fun, but they're also real terrible. Yeah. You know. I do. I was, yeah, yeah, because I was briefly the drummer in a band, but like super briefly. I played the drums in high school. I was so, I didn't like to make noise. It was a really weird fit. (laughs) (laughs) What made you choose drums? I wanted to be cool. I I gave up the piano because we'd moved and the new teacher really wanted me to start improvising and playing jazz. And I didn't, I couldn't improvise. So I, I felt like it was my duty to keep playing an instrument. And my parents were just like so nice. They were like, oh, you seemed to want us to buy you something okay it was like an o henry situation it was like oh you want me to play an instrument and they were like you want an object you want us to buy you something so i played drums 
I took lessons with a guy named Greg. How was oh, you it? had Greg? <laughs> Greg, Greg? Wait, that Greg? <laughs> do you, what do you play? Do you play anything now? No. Mm-mm. Do you miss it? Nope. Not at all. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Too much noise. I, I kind of miss the piano. I don't miss people hearing me. Um, I miss like the math of the piano. That was like the, the only math in my life in a certain way. Cause I was so, I was bad at math class and it didn't get in, but like I loved like moving the fingers in different ways. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't great at piano. I'm not, I don't have hobbies. I'm not like someone who likes to do something just for fun besides running. I like running. Buried the lead. We should have, <laughs> we, we could have spent this whole time talking about running. Do you like running? No, <laughs> but I'm fascinated by people who do. Tony, do you run? Uh, I've had phases lately. I, I need to get back into, cause I got to get back in shape for tour, but, uh, for carrying the, the drums. <laughs> oh, I'm not, I'm not doing that myself anymore. Oh, really? Yeah. Who carries it? A caddy? A caddy. <laughs> a drum ballet. <laughs> a, a drum tech. Yeah. We have a, we have a crew when I, but yeah. Uh, yes, it is. That was the, one of the greatest days of my life. The first time I didn't have to do that anymore. Uh, I, yeah, in recent years, I've started running a little bit. I don't like it at all. It, mm-hmm. it never gets easier for me, but uh, I try to make myself. Maybe Liana can share tips to make it better for you. Do you Maybe. have tips? Yeah. Is it like too hard or too boring? Both. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> to me, um, when I was starting, I ran really hard and it was really hard and I liked that. For some reason, like, I think I was really anxious and that, like, what that was healing for me to do that. And now I don't want that. But now it has gotten easier. And I don't like get out of breath when I run anymore. And it's just like, it's in New York. So it's the only way to be outside without always dodging people. Mm -hmm. Like people tend to get out of your way if you're hurtling towards them. (laughs) So that's like my only mode for when I'm outdoors. I run everywhere. I run to meet my friends and stuff. (laughs) <laughs> do you, but do you but but do you also just go out and run for exercise yeah and do you do that on the city streets too or do you go a special place i do it in prospect park it's great i love it there i run there's this place called the dog beach that is a little sectioned off area of a lake that the dogs swim in in the summer i'm afraid it'll be closed when i get home that'll be so sad it's closed half the year how's the book tour and pen tour going it's been really good. The one bad part is I was in San Francisco a few days ago and I fell and I broke my phone. Fu- it was very stressful. It was like a nightmare day. It was fleet week and there were all these, like, I didn't know it was fleet week. And I was staying at a hotel right in the middle of fleet week, which means that there are like warplanes flying mm-hmm. in formation over your head and making these booming noises. And it was terrifying and it was crowded and I was jet lagged and I went out to sit in a cafe. I was going to walk to Land's End. Uh, which is a beautiful place in San Francisco. And I like stopped after, it was a two hour walk. I stopped after an hour to sit in a cafe. And then I realized I'd forgotten the cable for charging my phone with the external battery. And then I realized if my phone died, I would be totally lost and not know how to get back. That's a terrifying feeling. It was. So I Googled where a store was and there was one right near me and I went to it and they were selling cables for $25, which is absurd Um, because it like had a light on it that tells you when the phone is charged. And I just thought I can't be taken advantage of. It'll set the tone for the rest of my week or something. (laughs) And I, the guy at the store was nice. And I asked him if there was another store. And he was like, Target is 10 minutes, a 10 minute walk. 
So I started walking there and I had left my stuff at the cafe because the cafe was full and I didn't want someone to take my seat. I'd left all my like disposable stuff on the chair, but I still felt really rude leaving. So mm. I decided to run to Target and make it a 10 minute absence instead of a 20 minute absence. And I was still holding my phone and I just like, like fell on a hill. Like I hurled oh, myself into the hill and the phone was smashed. My computer was in my bag and it is still working, but something it like went off kilter somehow and I hurt myself and I, I didn't know the phone was smashed. So I continued on to target and I was like crying. I thought I had ripped off a fingernail and I wasn't looking mm. at it. I was just like holding my hands very tight and I was like crying in self pity and shock and, and pain I, or no. Yeah. And pain. And I bought the cable and I refused help from people who were trying to give me band-aids. Cause I was like, I have to get back to the cafe <sighs> and I left the target and I took out my phone to check the map and the phone was completely smashed. And then, um, that's like an O Henry story. It was like <laughs> a, a bad dream. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Like I an, saw that you have a, yeah, yeah. um, a pretty, pretty painful looking scrape <laughs> on your painful. hand. Yeah. Yeah. It is like, I wanted to give my phone a gift and my phone wanted to give me a right. gift and we both like, <laughs> <laughs> It was hard to find the cafe, but I asked for help and I got it. And then, um, and then I had to spend the whole day finding a place to buy a new phone and paying for a new phone. But it's fine. Sounds very stressful. The rest of the travel is awesome. Do you both travel in in your jobs? Right. Yeah, I don't. I used to travel a lot more. I don't. I don't travel as much now. Um, and uh, and I'm okay with that actually. Yeah. I thought I always thought I want a job that's that where I have to travel a ton. And then when I had it, I was like, okay, this is getting real samey. I don't know. How do you feel, Tony? Yeah, same. I think it's it's more more exciting, I think, when you're young. When you do it so much, it just starts wearing you down, as yeah. I, I really know. But yeah, same. I used to do it constantly because I used to just tour professionally, but these days only some here and there. Are you what's your band called? I should know this. I'm sorry. Uh, I it's play okay. no, that's you do not need to be sorry. Uh, I play in a band called Motion City Soundtrack. Cool. They are heading out on tour in January. He's leaving me Who's for gonna, just for a little bit. Who's going to be here? <sighs> I don't, we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think probably. Well, maybe. Actually, this is a conversation we should have off air. Yeah, probably. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, we'll just take it off air. It'll be, list, you guys, though, it's going to be fine. We have an array of options for how it's going to work. So don't you worry. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm not going to be gone all the time like That's I used right. to be. Liana, do you produce podcasts? Because <laughs> um, we could get you if you're going to be available. I, someone's been trying to get me to, to find a mic to talk to her on her podcast, and I've been refusing to participate in that. You said that you listen to a lot of but podcasts, though. I might though. steal your mic. I do. I love podcasts. That's my form. I love this one. I Thank love, you. Yeah. Thank who you. else do you love? You can you can say other names. I won't be angry, or I will I, depending <laughs> on who it is. I love um, Stop Podcasting Yourself and Retail Nightmares. I love the JV Club. I love I loved Totally Lame and all of its spinoffs. Uh, I love Mark Marin. Um... What else? Oh, I love Call Your Girlfriend. Uh, I love how boring Ezra Klein is. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's so calming, and I just, uh, he's a good friend who just talks. It's a news one. 
And do you listen to podcasts while you're drawing? Yeah. Yeah. Somehow like you can fade in and out of a podcast. And sometimes if I really love, oh, I love fresh air. If I really love one, I'll listen to it several times and like get, get everything out of mm-hmm. it. But it's not, it's somehow music like, like grabs your brain more and it's more distracting and you need to not be working while you're listening. Right. To me. And podcasts, it's kind of like ambient company. And plus you get something really in the, in like the moments when you're not concentrating, you get really cool stuff in your head. Mm-hmm. I like conversational podcasts. I don't really like super produced podcasts. Thank, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you I, I took that one personally. Um, Thank you so much for doing the show, Liana. Thanks so much for having me. Tell everyone uh, where they can find more of you. Uh, On Instagram, at at symbol L-I-A-N-A-F-I-N-C-K, Liana Fink, in the New Yorker. Um, In the books, the new one is called Excuse Me. Uh, I guess that's it. Probably in Park Slope. (laughs) <laughs> and in Park Slope. Yeah. That's right. Um, and I'm at Allison Rosen on Twitter and Instagram. And I have another podcast, Childish. Check that one out. Um, please, if you like what you're hearing, subscribe, rate, review. And also I'm on Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Rosen. You're on Patreon too, right? I am. Yeah. Although I'm still trying to figure out if I'm going to be a good follow. So yeah, that's not a great advertisement. Can I plug <laughs> my friend? My favorite Patreon is Gabrielle Bell. Yeah. What, yeah. what does she do? Comics. Cool. She's, she's faithful to the form and it it suits her really well. All right. Check her out. Uh, and I'm on Cameo, you guys. The requests are trickling in. Cameo.com slash Allison Rosen. Tony, where do we find you, etc.? I'm at Tony Thaxton on Twitter and Instagram and uh, my podcast, Bizarre Albums, every Tuesday, which you would not like because it's very produced. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I'll change my taste. Oh, no. I'm just... I- <laughs> It was just too easy. <laughs> but then you'll offend Allison. And, you know, it's all, yeah. I'll clone myself. Yes. <laughs> there we go. Now we're talking. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much for being on. Listeners, thank you for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen show? 